you weren't way down yonder on the on the Chattahoochee where it gets hotter than a hoochie coochie, were you, Abe? that knows that when William Butler Yeats wrote the poem The Second Coming, in an attempt to capture the feelings of things in Europe at the conclusion of the Great War and amidst the Great Influenza, neither of which were precisely great in the way we might usually use the word, but were certainly events of enormous scale, which is presumably how they meant it then. And really, there's little confusion even now, of course, but you can never be too careful. Anyway, when Yeats wrote his poem about Europe after the war to end all wars and during the devastating Spanish flu, though... Again, that wasn't really the war to end all wars, was it, given the rise of the Third Reich and that whole global conflict that followed, not to mention Korea and Vietnam and all the Middle East wars and the various African wars nobody pays much attention to. And of course, Spanish flu is just an unfair branding of a pandemic that most people think spread through Europe only because a bunch of American GIs brought it with them when they went over to fight in the war to end war for a couple of decades. Anyway, but... Here we are, distracted again. Let's try once more. All right, so Yeats, he wrote this poem about, you know, the feeling in the air of a particular time and place as a result of events. And it's clear that whatever he was talking about, he can't possibly have been talking about now, about today, because that was over 100 years ago. And he was a dummy poet who lived before humans really knew much of anything, not like now when we have the internet, can know literally anything whenever we want. Or maybe it's anything we want to be can be what we know. I'm not sure. I'm just certain it's better now, though. What Yeats wrote, things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Seems to this podcast to actually have something to offer this particular moment. That the middle seems untenable when the ends have gone berserk. That mounting a defense of not being sure in a time of absolute moral clarity can look like apathy or resignation or simply disengagement when it's anything but that, as Yeats puts it, at a time when the best lack all conviction while the worst are full of passionate intensity, it can make even the act of taking a moment and just thinking about things seem to the fully convicted worth of derision and condemnation. And whatever rough beast slouches towards us to be born again, it won't be born out of whatever revealed truths our modern priests of the apocalypse insist rule us today. No, that rough beast is born out of the gaping chasm left in the middle, after the center has been torn asunder by truths that were only such in the minds of a few passionate idiots. Because things fall apart, and the center cannot hold. My name is Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host. That's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Lori's here too. How you doing, Lori? I'm fine. Lori's fine. Tonight is Monday, February the 20th, 2023. A little bit later than we usually start tonight. 
due to some technical difficulties. I'm sure this late start will chasten me into uh, <laughs> keeping things focused and on track and wrapped up nice and early tonight, right? That's how this usually goes. I'm sure that you should have checked to see if everything was working all day today earlier. Can I uh, Can I take the over on chasing? <laughs> I think you can. Okay. If you can bet on XFL games, which I found out this weekend, uh, if you wanted to, you certainly can. The XFL uh, has started? Yes. Oh. You can take. Yeah, we watched a little. Nope. The kickoff's good. It's like some it's weird true. gimmick, right? The, the, they're all lined up it's like better. five no, yards. No, it's not a gimmick. It's just an improvement. It's so better. what they do is they have the kicker back wherever the fuck the kicker right. goes. I don't know. Uh, and they have the, the person who's receiving the ball be in a normal position to receive the ball. But they start the lines of scrimmage, essentially, the, the what would usually you'd be calling like the runners and the, the right. blockers, right, in a, a traditional NFL kickoff. They start them only five yards apart, right. uh, way down in the receiving team's territory at like the 25 and the 30 or something like that, let's say. And so they, instead of getting a running start and, and letting these assholes get up to like 22 miles an hour or whatever they get up to, and then slamming into each other and uh, causing great chaos and injury and loss of life and limb, they just run into each other from five yards apart. So there's much less chance right. of injury. And the, the other bright side is that there's way fewer touchbacks. Like it's something like in excess of 90% of the kickoffs, in the XFL are returned, which is a more exciting play. Uh, but they don't want that in the NFL because it increases the risk of injury. But they've eliminated that with their their clever rule. It's a much better system. So the uh, line, of, I, could I, I watched a clip of this uh, gimmick, and I'm all for gimmicks. Not a gimmick. So the first thing you'll notice is that oh, it's a weird configuration because like yeah, the, the the two lines are like further towards the ball, where the ball's going to end up yeah. than in the middle. Uh, and second of all, basically, it precludes any sort of onside kick, right? I mean, how could you possibly right. do an onside kick in that case? Not that those things are successful all that much. So that's you can throw that away. It's not like a big thing you're going to lose, right, with this new system. And the way that I understand it is that the lines of scrimmage cannot engage until either the, res- the person catches the ball uh, or I guess after three seconds go by or something like that. Right, so, so that's that's where it gets a little gimmicky. If the ball is not touched and it's just laying on the turf for three seconds, so I guess somebody's counting somewhere. Is there a Mississippi there's like a count? big clock. Like, <laughs> it, goes, yeah, like, it counts down three, two, one, and then a light goes off and everybody can run or something. Or like the referee just yells, Ali, Ali, oxen free or something stupid like that. Uh, but Not sure exactly. The, the ups- so that's, yeah, okay, I, I, I will acknowledge it has a gimmicky aspect. But in in general, just yeah. a good evolution. The upside is that, you know, the safety consideration and also there's actual action, you know, like it's not like the ball ends in a touch. You know, there's actually some attempt to move right. the ball. So a play worth watching. Do you think that they'll ever uh, implement that? I mean, you know, a lot of the goofy gimmicks like from baseball, I mean, uh, basketball and football, like the, the two point attempt was like an AFL scheme, right, that they incorporate into the NFL, like. The three-point line was some sort of ABA thing. You know, like these different ideas come from like lower-level leagues or competing leagues. Do you think that in a few years there will be this kickoff rule implemented in the NFL? A few years ago, I would have said absolutely not. And then baseball uh, expanded the size of first and third base and then (laughs) then also – 
gives you a, a special ghost runner on second base yes. at the start of extra innings <laughs> for no reason. Like, so apparently fucking anything can fly yeah. uh, in America's pastime. So, yeah, I mean, fuck it. Do whatever you want. It's not it doesn't fundamentally change the game. I do think that people would freak out about the inability of the kicking team to even attempt an onside kick or or how they would incorporate the ability of the kicking team to somehow maintain possession barring just a a muffing of the kick by the by the other team. Isn't, I'm not sure. Isn't but. there a separate gimmick to address just that which is I think this only is allowed in the fourth quarter or at the end of each half. But like a team, instead of an onside kick, could choose to go fourth and 15 from deep in their own, uh, like on the 25. On their own 25, they can choose to try to convert a fourth and 15. And that will be their onside kick recovery. If you fail to recover or if you if you fail to convert the 4th and 15 then the other team gets the ball right there like in your own I did not know that because I didn't watch more than 45 seconds of the XFL <laughs> this weekend but that is fucking spectacular and But in favor of the I, imagine playing the Chiefs and you're like you know ahead on them and they're just like oh sure give it to Mahomes what's 15 yards to him he'll just chuck it up to that fucking Kelsey guy who's always open and you'll never be able to put a team away. Like, I think that will not ever be upgraded to the NFL. Yeah. But the kickoff is fine. All right. Well, you know. Apparently, we, we're not ready to leave football behind, I think, is the moral of the opening story here tonight. I think uh, once uh, so the ratings come in, I think it'll be very clear that people are indeed <laughs> very much willing to leave football behind for the next seven yeah, months. Yeah, but this podcast. No, this, it's, this podcast is un, unwilling to just move along here. Talk about something besides sports in the opening segment. Uh, no. Hey, but uh, yeah, President's Day off. Correct? That's right. Uh, big, uh, big vacation day. You know, I got a couple of texts from listeners of the show uh, shortly after you texted me on Saturday afternoon. You sent you sent the New York Times notification that President Jimmy Carter, former President Carter, was retiring to planes to live out his remaining days without medical intervention. They, they call that uh, home hospice care, which uh, just means that he won't be receiving any further medical interventions or, or to treatment extend for his, his life, various but, but he maladies. will take drugs for palliative care, right? I mean, he's going to he's, he's be drugged up. Sure, but they're not going to try to keep him alive right. any longer than his body wants to keep doing that work for itself. So presumably, we're in the final days of President Carter's life. I won't say which particular gif accompanied your uh, text message to us about the I president uh, i wouldn't read too much into that oh, that's a joke bob come on right yeah, yeah but i will say that i got multiple text messages from listeners also alerting me to the fact that jimmy carter is going to be dying soon and talking about how i'll bet abe is very excited <laughs> about this development so that's that's how that's how people know you. That's your legacy, Abe, out there in the world. Just so you know. Oh yeah, Abe, that guy who was waiting for Jimmy Carter to die. See, it really goes to show you uh, when you make these predictions. You know the unintended consequences. You know, I, I started last year with saying there's no way these two very old public figures, the Queen and the former President from my home state of Georgia, they're not going to get to 23, right? 22 is it. That's the end of the road for both of them, and. For one of them, it was, and for some reason, it just uh, I took great offense to the fact that just 
<laughs> he would still be alive. Like, you know, he survived 2022. But I'm not, in fact, actually rooting for anybody to die. Come on. Let's see what to do first here. I guess we'll do, uh, let's let's talk about rolled, rolled doll books and oh. the changes that have been made. Bob spent all day working on a child's project for a fourth grade science project. So today should be real fun. I wouldn't say that I spent all day doing my son's homework for him. I was just there to help. It certainly appears that way when you look at the writing of the homework. Uh-huh. It uh, sounds an awful lot like the intro to this show. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Is that what it sounds like? Calvin, Calvin, all right. So here's the the assignment is for the the boy has to he he could choose from a number of different uh, options. The option that he chose that he wanted to do was to keep an astronaut's journal as this particular astronaut visits all of the planets in our solar system, and I simply uh, uh, helped direct that to some extent. I did not write any of the sentences. I improved a couple of sentences. Believe me, this could have been far better. I don't want to dump on the boy's hard work. He did a very good job. But it is it is a, a mere shadow of the thing that I had uh, imagined for him when we were talking grade. about it. He's 10 years old. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Also, the fact that this is the first, what feels like the first real homework assignment he's had in years uh, yeah. makes me nervous about like what's to come. Because like he's like it's good that you learn to do work at this age, but it concerns me that like this is really the first big one that he's had to like sort of conceive of on his own and also put together. And like I don't know, it feels like we had we'd done more of that by the time I was ten oh. years old. Yeah, well, different approach. Discriminatory because here we are. Anyway, Abe, you sent along a link to a story. I think it was in the Independent or something like that. I. I tried to read it, and it, it demanded uh, a subscription. So I don't know. Do you subscribe to that goddamn you know, website? Okay, this is interesting. Uh, does it matter when you click on a story? Because sometimes if you, like uh, like one of these aggregating yeah, websites, Drudge Report or some other website that just has links to things, there's some sort of weird thing where it's like, well, you clicked on it, so it's fine now. But if I came back to it today... I, you know, I would get some sort of like a flash page about maybe like it's subscribing. Like a, they give you one a month. Yeah, maybe no, it's it doesn't not. matter it's, so which one. I think it's the tele, the Telegraph, and what it was was they leave it to be read for like a day, and then they paywall it shortly thereafter. Okay, oh. okay. Sometimes I think that they will. Like the Wall Street Journal, for example, I don't know that they even have a definitive stance. I think it's like, hey, if this thing is doing numbers, we're not going to paywall it because it's like this was an exclusive and uh, we just want to get the story out there with our name on it and that will generate more subscribers. Anyway, the point here is that I can't read the goddamn article that you sent along to me, but there have been plenty of other things to read about this, including – and there will be links to that in the show notes if you need them. The Times also, of course, and, and every other outlet has stories about Rolled Dolls books. And the Times headline is Rolled Dolls books are rewritten to cut potentially offensive language. New editions of the best selling authors' children's classics, including Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, have been altered to eliminate words deemed inappropriate. A backlash ensued. By means of example of what has been changed, This is from that Telegraph article that I don't have access to, but you helpfully screenshotted a couple of things. The text would read, The man behind the counter looked fat and well-fed. He had big lips and fat cheeks and a very fat neck. And that's just been excised entirely. That's 
no longer in the text. Uh, the fat shopkeeper shouted has been changed to the shopkeeper shouted. So we're getting a lot of removals of descriptions of fat things. Uh, get all that mud off your pants has been changed to get all that mud off your trousers, <laughs> which uh, that doesn't seem terribly pants. offensive to me. Although David Letterman's production company, Worldwide Pants, which always gets a chuckle out of me for some reason, uh, which I guess is the point. Oh, pants of why you, is a very funny word. It's a very funny pants. word. And also pairing it with Worldwide Pants uh, <laughs> is obviously inherently hilarious for reasons that my like 11 or 12 year old brain knew and my 40 year old brain still finds funny anyway uh policemen with arms linked were trying to hold them back from the gates has been changed to police officers with arms linked uh we're trying to do that all the children except charlie had both their mothers and fathers with them all the children except charlie had their parents with them so any reference to a mother or a father has been removed in favor of uh, the sort of non-denominational parent. Right. And there's a lot of other examples that I don't have to go through all of them, certainly. Abe, is this is this a big deal? Does this matter? Is the seething and impotent rage with which I was struck upon reading this article uh, justified? You know, it's funny— uh when I when I was sending uh, this link to you, I was wondering like if if you were seated, if you were like somewhere in public, you know, I didn't want you to like blow a gasket because <laughs> I knew this was gonna uh, rub you the wrong way. Especially, uh, I mean, I got a laugh out of it. But what's weird is there are so many of these changes. You went over just a few examples, but there are so many instances where they would out outright remove like just like a sentence uh, or a word, uh, or they would reword it and make it worse and. The further along you read in the article, uh, when I had the opportunity to do so, they were talking about the company Puffin, like the publishers, uh, and Netflix. Apparently, they bought the rights to, to this uh, author's uh, works. They got partnered up with some goofy-named uh, company called Inclusive Minds. And these are the people that go in and they make these recommendations, like instead of like whatever, whatever fact – get rid of the fat or get rid of the individuated right, right. So, parents. So to be clear, because I didn't set this up very well because I was distracted, this is not something that's been done by some like woke activist group or something that's coming in and complaining about these works that actually belong to someone else. So this is not public domain stuff. Roald Dahl only died in 1990. So his estate still has full control of his collected works, of everything that he ever wrote. And it is his estate who has decided to make these changes of their own volition, uh, apparently seeing the writing on the wall. Right. They're basically anticipating future problems. And, and, and that's kind of what is upsetting on, on when I was reading it. It's basically they want the IP, the intellectual property of the name, the brand. This person is a known children's author. They want to use that. And then they want to like just get rid of all of the potential problems to future profits, right? I mean, this is just a transparently cynical approach, right? This is not like we're making art better or we're doing anything other than just like, just remove any sort of problem that we may face in the future. So that way these books are still being sold and we're still making money. Right. And to be clear, the, the problems that we're talking about are in fact problems that would be identified by crazy woke activist right. types. Like, yeah. I don't mean to, yeah. I don't mean to say that they have nothing to do with this. I mean to say that the Roald Dahl estate specifically hired 
some fucking lunatics to come in and find all of the problematic language here and remove it. Wherein problematic language is just the description of characters and their physical characteristics, uh, just their fatness being completely unacceptable for some reason. So, by the way, when Netflix goes to adapt these various works and they're trying to create these characters, what text are they going to be drawing from right. when they're doing this? Because if they're not, if the shopkeeper is no longer fat, if that's no longer a feature of the character as written in Doll, are they going to? It, will it be a fat shopkeeper still? Right. Or will it be a not fat shopkeeper because the source text that they're using didn't have that in the description and does it matter no i guess in some fundamental way it's an adaptation anyway so it doesn't fucking matter right. but to me if we're talking about uh, the the intent of the artist and uh, and the fact that like words matter and the, the the activist psychopaths are also intent that that words matter right, right. They, they, they believe that the that the words have a, a great deal of import here uh, so much so that they're going to neuter the fuck out of the language and take anything out that they can claim there's no proof by the way that this actually harms anyone right it's just and and to be clear it never harmed anyone for the shopkeeper to be described as fat i can't even, i can't even begin to imagine yeah. what possible harm is there especially given that the fat the, the the fat acceptance movement recognizes fat as an an apt descriptor for a person's physical stature. That the 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 current woke ideology says it should be fine to use fat as the word rather than getting all euphemistic and stupid about things. They they've reclaimed fat because fat is what it is. Right. You know, uh, online, you know, obviously there's all, all these uh, hot takes and people are making their complaints. Uh, and there's been a lot of charges of like plagiarism, which doesn't really make sense, right? This is not plagiarism. But there is a word that I always read, but I can't say out loud. But it's like, it's, I, I want to say it's boulderize, but it's like where you yeah. take the some original material and you change things because of of its offensive nature or whatever. So like, this is more that, and I don't know if there's a crime against that, right? There's no like rule against changing the stuff, you know, like there's not like, uh, if you make so many X number of changes in a book, uh, in an original work, you have to like at, on the cover, make mention of it, or like, this is a reimagining of the works. Like there's no like requirement that you say that this is a different product than the original version. Right. And, and so passing it off as, the original works is where the problem is. Like when you're making this, I mean, there were a lot of examples and it wasn't just one book. It was just all of the books. It seems like they're making random changes. The motivation behind some of them don't make any sense. It's just like personal preference for the people at inclusive minds. I don't know. There was no like logic behind some of the changes. Is this even more cynical than we're giving it credit for? Is this just a way to, over the course of the next three to five years, sell a bunch? Because they're going to sell Roald Dahl books no matter what. Right. They sell them to schools. They're going to, the, uh, school libraries will feel that in order to do the right thing, they need to replace all of the old Roald Dahl books with uh, new, updated, inclusive Roald Dahl books. And then in 2030, at some important milestone, they'll be like, okay, uh, the estate of Roald Dahl has decided that we need to re-release the originals as, as, as originally intended by the great master himself, Roald Dahl, and now you can get the words as written by Roald Dahl, and it'll be special editions, and they'll, they'll roll that out in, in spectacular fashion Bold. then. 
that out. <laughs> is that is that what we're looking at here? Is this just an opportunity for multiple versions to be the, the, the way that the fucking Star Wars comes out right. with a new special edition right. every goddamn five years, and you, you just don't have the right one anymore? You know, I wonder. Maybe you're right. Maybe that's what all this is about because I'm sure there's a lot of interest now in if you don't already have these books to get the original copies, right? So you're, you're gonna pay close attention to the is this like the latest edition or is this like before a certain period where you know the first few prints are the same, you know? So like you don't have to get the very original original copy of it, but just you know until they started making these tweaks, and so maybe that will boost sales because I'm sure there are people out there that are like fuck that, I'm gonna. Uh, go ahead and buy this when it's available now because maybe not this anniversary thing, but maybe in a few years they'll get rid of the, you know, they'll just expunge the original works. And now this will be the new original works, you know. That's a little conspiratorial. Yeah, I don't know if it's a great conspiracy or anything along those lines, but it certainly could just be a marketing ploy. And certainly everybody's talking about rolled doll books in a way that they weren't uh, not all that long ago. Also, so. perhaps, I mean, the likely scenario is that they did not anticipate that anyone would sift through these changes that, you know, on their own, maybe wouldn't be noticeable, like a sentence here, a word there. But when you lump it all together, the way they did in that article, it becomes like, wow, what the fuck are they doing? So I can't, I don't think that they were anticipating somebody figuring it all out and having this big pushback because it's, I mean, so far it seemed like it's almost uniform, right? I haven't seen too many people on the other side of it saying, yeah, yeah, change things randomly. I'm all for that, you know? Because there's no, like, right. one well, example where well, it's, like, some racial epithet was u- used and, like, okay, I can kind of see. Like, there were no example of those. So, like, there's nothing really for someone to, to defend. It's just been all negative. I mean, there there are people on – I mean, I don't care to find them now, but there are people on Twitter who are insisting that the reaction to this is just reactionary bullshit from – uh, people who shouldn't care about such things and that it's good that language changes and that these books are being rewritten to reflect a more enlightened time, which I think is sort of obviously nonsense. And like, there's a reason that when you go to buy, assuming anybody ever goes to buy Mark Twain now, you go to Amazon, like the bestseller isn't going to be some asshole's reimagined version of The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn where – Huck doesn't say the N-word, right. right? Like, like, sure, maybe you can buy ones where it's dashed out or it, it's just got a bunch of stars there or something like that. Uh, but I don't know who who you're doing any favors with that either. Like, I don't know. It it just seems like such a fucking shame. And why do we read these things in the first place? We read them because the author was intent on choosing these particular words to communicate a particular feeling and to entertain children uh, above all else. And if if it was good enough to entertain children for the last 50 years, I don't know what removing uh, the, a description of a person's fatness right. does in terms of uh, doing anybody any good. Especially when it's being used to be descriptive. It's not being done out of malice or just to make fun. Oh, look at this fat shopkeeper. Just like they're just describing somebody. Just like there was another example of like they had like a horse face. Right, but even, oh, even if it is to insult right. someone, no. even if it is right. to, to, to be shitty towards another human being, right. like usually when that's done by a character in a story that's being or by a narrator in a story, that's being done to tell you something about the character of that of that individual, yes. right? That's... A, 
each each word is chosen to reveal something about the person observing it and sometimes it reveals something unintentionally about the author and how they're a fucking bad person right. but that's the wages of being a person who puts their words out in public right. right is that you are going to then be judged by the decisions that you made and you can be ju- and and perhaps you can be found wanting if the words that you choose are legitimately like you you don't realize the thing that you're doing but when you're putting the words or the descriptions in somebody else's mouth you're trying to convey something about that person about that character and it doesn't actually say anything about you the author right and 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 sometimes people in the world do unkind things and that reflects in the works of these people right but also the reason why i mean you're right bob what you're saying is right but the reason why i pointed that out is the people who are behind this they have kind of lost the thread to such an extent that even when it's not the words are not being used in a derogatory way still get cut right like even when people right. are using it in the most just innocuous kind of benign way just like hey blah 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 fat this just to dis- distinguish them or whatever just give them some character that doesn't make the cut because they they kind of don't understand i mean they probably do understand but they choose not to understand how words work you know just so they can kind of remove it this may be just because it's top of mind because it's been in the news the last month or so with this chatbot AI stuff. Any chance that this is like a program that did all this cutting? Because it does sound like it is devoid of a human discernment, you know, like the way that the words are being cut. Uh, what if I told you that human discernment is lacking in the type of person who decides that this that their job is to go out and look for offensive <laughs> words? That, that you, what you have described in the form of an AI is just what you look for in the job description of somebody who wants to work at uh, whatever bullshit company this is that went through uh, with a fine-tooth comb and found all of the offensive words in Roald Dahl's books. And this is something, by the way, it's sort of academic – uh, when we talk about it in terms of Roald Dahl, who's been dead now since 1990, been dead for quite some time. And this is, again, I think in all likelihood, just a too clever by half marketing ploy by his estate to get his name in the papers. And then again, in three or five years or something, release the original right. Roald Dahl as, as the good Lord intended. So that's Roald Dahl, who's been dead for a long time. This happens with, like, you are expected to have sensitivity readers if you are an author being published today. Most major publishing houses, unless you are a true household name, right, unless you're somebody who's going to sell a million books no matter what, unless you're Stephen King or whatever, you are expected to endure this sensitivity reader shit where somebody of color or somebody some somebody of the correct minority status is going to read your work and figure out, based on who you are as an, as an author, according to uh, your various identity markers, what you are allowed to and not allowed to say – Uh, in this context, and you will be expected to make edits of your work based on that. And as I said to you, it really might turn uh, the the old vanity self-publishing, like the the vanity presses and the self-publishing stuff, away from being sort of a shameful, like, uh, what the fuck is wrong with you? You can't be published by the traditional publishing houses, so you must suck at writing kind of thing, to like the only outlet for actual art to be done, right? Right. Because there's simply, again, I would struggle uh, having an editor of any sort tell me that, 
no, this sentence doesn't work. And I would then, like, if they decided that sentence didn't work, I would probably write them a thousand-word essay on why I chose those words in that order. Right. Like, what do you mean this sentence didn't work? I wrote that sentence over the course of nine hours. Right. I wrote that sentence literally 500 times. I chose each word and letter, including the misspelling, on purpose to communicate something in particular, and you're going to tell me that my sentence doesn't work? No, right. you don't get to do that. And that's just like a sentence that doesn't have any bad words in it, that doesn't yeah. convey any uh, any unacceptable ideas. That's just a sentence, right? And the idea that I would further endure a sensitivity reader who's going to tell me that like the biracial assistant manager in my pizza story is unacceptable for this reason and that reason and that reason. Uh, most of all, because you as a white guy can't say those things about this biracial character. Right. You're out of your fucking mind if you think I'm going to endure that sort of thing or change a single a single mark on the page because of what you have to say about it. That's none of your goddamn business. Like, absolutely not. And so that that's how, like, I mean, this is assuming, of course, that I have a finished work that I want to present right. to an editor or a publisher, uh, which, of course, I don't. I'm a, I'm a horrible failure in that regard. But if that was the cost of doing business in this world, like, I simply wouldn't do it. That's how I end up at a fucking vanity press. That's how I end up self-published at Amazon, presumably. But do you, do you but. think that based on the, the pushback that uh, the story has gotten, it must be reassuring that we're not going in that direction, right? It, it, it's not like everybody was accepting of these changes. So, like, it's not like the future is going to be this thing, right? There's been some pushback. Well, I don't know. We are clearly going in that direction. Like, I mean, like I said about the traditional publishing industry now, like, the, you can find uh, endless stories in the last few years from writers talking about the sensitivity readings that they had to endure and the things that they had to change. And most people just go along with it because they, that's the cost of doing business in this world, right? Like it's just what you have to do. And anybody who objects to the DN-wordification of, uh, of the Mark Twain collection is going to be accused of being a racist in some way because we're very dumb about the way that we imagine words can do harm. I don't know. Yes, it can be sort of clarifying in a moment like this for everyone to be angry and upset about this and sort of the a rare moment in which the literary establishment raises its head and, and seems to come together around the idea that this is a bad idea. But this is a product of a culture in the publishing world that that is, already exists right that the, this this deference to and that, the weird the funny thing is because you read some of this stuff about how uh, pe people start complaining about how the executives at all, like the, the big time editors at all these publishing houses are still, it's all still too white, right? right. Like, yes, we, we publish a great deal of people of color and all of their uh, goddamn, all these 27 year olds with their goddamn memoirs, uh, <laughs> but because they have the right identity characteristics, they, they get to write a book. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, good for them. But those same people complain about the fact that a lot of the editors and the the higher ups in the C suites of these various publishing houses are there's there's still far too many whites there, but of course the whites that maintain there are the ones who capitulate to all of the nonsense about the sensitivity readers and making sure that no harm comes from any of the work that they do right like they they sort of maintain their position right. in this world by deferring to by, by being an ally to. The obnoxious woke types who come banging down their doors. That is interesting. And that's how they secure their own positions. Yeah, because uh, yeah, they're almost kind of like well versed in 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 navigating 
this nonsense, right? They're, they're kind of like experts at it to where they can kind of deflect because, for instance, why are you carrying uh, the works of – that you find that objectionable in the first place, right? Like, well, you're just masking a few words here or there, but you know what the original meaning was and you're still profiting off of the works. Like, you don't have a problem to not carry the work, but you just want to like, I don't know, make some cosmetic changes so you don't get – any shit from people right because Roald Dahl was not a good dude right, right? So, like sort of widely acknowledged he was a fucking asshole anti-semite and all the rest yeah, like, like, didn't uh, his not, family not have to put out a thing about his supposed anti-semitism but like yeah why are you you know you're okay with that but you're pretending you're not when it comes to like a word here and there the other question I have is I don't know the answer to this because these book companies they have all these different names but they're all under one major umbrella company like there are all these different outfits of uh simon and schuster like how many of these companies are there the big ones that control all the little ones like if you were to say you know i don't want to go through this uh vetting process for like words that somebody may find objectionable there are only so many that control all the different imprints right like so if you if you take your business somewhere else and where do you end up like what you were saying earlier just self-publish right yeah, I don't know. And yeah, I mean, maybe it's just a passing thing. Maybe it is, maybe this sort of uh, broad negative reaction to it puts a stop to some of the more absurd examples going forward. That's only one half of the reference that I made in my my opening rant there. The second half of that rant about how the, the center not holding is sort of a broad reaction to something that happened in the middle of last week. Uh, which we will refer to as nytletter.com, which was a letter put out by a broad collection of New York Times contributors, not not staffers exactly, uh, but people who have – who were claimed to have contributed to the paper in the past at some point. Initially, it was signed by some 180 New York Times contributors and then that, that – Eventually, it became signed by many hundreds more of them, I think, uh, approaching a 1,000 or something like that, if not more. And then also, because it's a, a public open letter, anybody can just write in and say that they have some sort of connection to the media landscape and put their name on it. I believe if we so chose, uh, you could email uh, your name and get it signed to the bottom of this letter. Essentially, uh, just to summarize, it's basically a letter that says – we disapprove of the way trans issues have been covered by the New York Times, especially over the course of the last year or so, and that it it smacks of the sort of homophobia and derision towards gay people that the Times was famous for a hundred fucking years right. ago and, and, and that sort of thing. Probably more recent uh, than that too, but yeah. Yes, and also more recent than that, but it specifically singles out – Emily Bazelon's article from eight or nine months ago called The Battle Over Gender Therapy, which we talked about on the show before, and also the more recent article by someone named Katie J.M. Baker. Uh, Katie Baker wrote, When Students Change Gender Identity and Parents Don't Know, which is something that we talked about on the podcast, uh, I believe, a couple of weeks ago, which is all about schools hiding the gender transition of students from parents and i will just read from the letter now this is uh, it's addressed to the uh, standards editor who is philip corbett associate managing editor for standards at the new york times dear philip we write to you as a collective 
as a collective of New York Times contributors with serious concerns about editorial bias in the newspaper's reporting on transgender, non-binary, and gender non-conforming people. Plenty of reporters at the Times cover trans issues fairly. Their work is eclipsed, however, by what one journalist has calculated as over 15,000 words of front-page Times coverage debating the propriety of medical care for trans children published in the last eight months alone. The newspaper's editorial guidelines demand that reporters, quote, preserve a professional detachment free of any whiff of bias, end quote, when cultivating their sources, remaining, quote, sensitive that personal relationships with news sources can erode into favoritism in fact or appearance, end quote. Yet the Times has in recent years treated gender diversity with an eerily familiar mix of pseudoscience and euphemistic charged language while publishing reporting on trans children that omits relevant information about its sources. As I said, they go on to single out Emily Bazelon, who wrote what was, by all appearances, a very fair and, I mean, obviously the term fair and balanced has, uh, has, has sort of freighted these <laughs> days. But what seemed to me to be a fair and balanced approach to the question, this is what they say. They say that uh, Emily Bazelon's article uncritically used the term patient zero to refer to a trans child seeking gender-affirming care, a phrase that vilifies transness as a disease to be feared. So this is the the prime, the, their lead example of Bazelon's and the New York Times' sin here is to the use of this phrase patient zero in her article, uh, which has been used as uh, you can imagine it being used like in the context of, a, of some sort of flu or some sort of other disease that goes around where somebody is the first person to transmit the thing and they're like the prime vector for this disease. Right. As if, so the, the implication here is that Emily Bazelon is using this term in the way that bad people use this term to talk about transness in a way that is unfair to trans people. Now, Unfortunately, in the context of the article, she's just using it as the patient refers to themselves, right. right? So they were the first person to receive the so-called Dutch protocol. They were the first person to receive this new standard of care. And the people who provided that standard of care to them, who affirmed their gender in the parlance of our times, used that phrase, patient zero, in their conversations with Emily Bazelon. Right. And so did the patient themselves refer to themselves as patient zero. So their prime example here at the lead of their letter is to mischaracterize uh, just to factually mischaracterize, to tell a lie about what Emily Bazelon does with that particular phrase. And uh, they go on in the, the, the next criticism of Katie Baker's article to insist that she did not properly identify certain groups as being affiliated with other more distasteful groups. So uh, back from the letter. In a similar case, Katie Baker's recent feature, When Students Change Gender Identity and Parents Don't Know, misframed the battle over children's right to safely transition. Which, uh, first of all, <laughs> before I go on, insisting that it's being misframed when the headline is When Students Change Gender Identity and Parents Don't Know is actually a perfect framing of the subject of the article, right, which is that children are changing their gender identity and the parents don't know 
What other framing is there? That is the framing of the article because that's the article she was assigned to write. Right. You can't be upset that she did the thing that she set out to do. Like it was, it's not misframing. You just disagree with the idea that this is something that's worth talking about, but you don't get to decide what articles they write. I'm sorry, but like it's not up to you. It's up to the journalists and to their editors to decide right. that. Anyway, uh, continuing the quote, the piece fails to make clear that court cases brought by parents who want schools to out their trans children are part of a legal strategy pursued by anti-trans hate groups. These groups have identified trans parents as an, quote, existential threat to society and seek to replace the American public education system with Christian homeschooling. Key context Baker did not provide to Times readers. And I, reading this letter some two or three weeks after first reading Katie baker's article knew this was false i and, and i clicked on the link i went to the article and i found in the body of the article that exact thing that quote existential threat to society comes from the katie baker article she actually does disclose that they're working with this group that is shitty in this way in the original article so the two main examples that this letter gives that thousands of journalists have since signed are completely false. And then they get mad that they're being lumped in with activists. Like, of course you're going to be lumped in with activists. You're doing activism. You have no concern for the truth. And the idea that you can scroll down and find good journalists and smart people on this list. Ed Young, uh, the, the lead science writer for The Atlantic, is on this list. Uh, David Itzkoff, he's an entertainment reporter for The New York Times, is on this list. There are dozens of uh, otherwise smart and who I would have assumed were actors in good faith and journalists doing good work where the truth matters, who, who signed to this letter, which is just a, a, a series of lies and personal attacks against journalists who they believe have stepped outside the correct frame, the correct moral frame on an issue. So a couple of things, you know, watching sports uh, the way that I do, I, I always make these stupid comparisons uh, to sports when it didn't apply. But this uh, bears a striking resemblance to working the refs. Like what these people, the undersigned, want to do, they can't do anything about past uh, stories that, that has already been covered, but just make them think of the thousand names going forward so that basically they're like shamed into like going out of their way. To be fair to them, right? So basically, it's like, I mean, as you described, really, they didn't do anything wrong in their original coverage. I mean, they're ascribing malice to Emily Bazelon, the way she's characterizing something that someone else has used the same terminology, right? But they're saying you're using it as if it's a communicable disease, like, you know, you do with like AIDS or something else. That's not the connection she was drawing. But they're ascribing that to her. And then the framing of the headline, which, as you say, if you're just walking by and you, you know, back in the old days when people actually had newspapers and you pick up that newspaper and you read that headline, you, you get the message what the story is going to cover. Like it's a pretty good way to phrase it. But they're probably thinking the story is here. The people transitioning, why, why are you worried about the few parents who are going to be upset? Like basically they're like minimized or they're saying that that's not important. Don't cover that. Basically they're, they're working the reference to like what not to cover. They're not saying that. Right. And also, and also this thing that is becoming uh, far more prevalent in the culture as the, as 
any decent poll on this suggests you ask these people, are you boomers, any of these letters? And the answer is one in 20. And then you come all the way down to Gen Z, people born between 1997 and 2003, roughly, and it's one in five, right? And including massive increases, not just in the bisexual and queer identity, but in in the trans identity and the gender non-conforming identity. So this thing that is ascendant in the culture is actually vanishingly small, these people insist. They say it is, in fact, so small that it's not worthy of covering. And I know that uh, what's about to come out of my mouth is completely unfair, Yeah. but there were 62 million police interactions in the year 2018, and fewer than a 1,000 citizens died as a result of those interactions, which is a completely inconsequential percentage of 62 million, right? Well, and that's, that's, all of, that's all of the citizen deaths. That's 990 people died at police hands in uh, 2018 out of 62 million police interactions. That doesn't that, that, to say nothing of how many of those people were fighting with the cops and fucking had it coming, right? Uh, how many of those people were involved in some Who sort of other violent interaction? I I can't handle this. Bob, this is a vanishingly uh, this is a vanishingly small thing that we shouldn't pay any attention to. It doesn't deserve this kind of coverage when we have an entire media ecosystem devoted to elevating the anecdote. To to taking this 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 awful event that happens in North Carolina, for example, or this awful thing that happens to George Floyd a couple of years ago, and it becomes the most dominant thing in the entire culture for years because of a couple of anecdotes, right, that do not represent anything like the whole. Are they representative of a system? Yeah, probably. Uh, in certain ways, it fucking matters, right? And we should have these conversations. But don't tell me that you can't have these conversations conversations because it's only affecting some small percentage of children and that therefore it doesn't warrant this amount of coverage. Right. Bullshit. So you're trying to hide something. Okay. Uh on on the police front, I mean that's the way that I compare that to would be the airline industry. You can't say we had a banner year because only 62 planes went down when there's like 60 million that didn't. Like I, mean, I it said ha- it wasn't fair. Right. All right. I said it but wasn't fair. On the other issue, like I said the problem that I have is whenever a story is covered, the way the approach that some are taking is that you have to cover it only in one way. Otherwise, you're doing harm or you're going to be linked to any sort of violence that comes the way of somebody in the community. Like Emily Bazelon is giving sucker to transphobes, right. essentially. Emily Bazelon, according to this letter, and this is not a quote, but effectively what they're saying is that they, they are painting Emily Bazelon and the New York Times editorial decisions as genocide heirs in the same way that anybody who questions the right of trans people to exist are genocide heirs, right? That there is no, that there's pure moral equivalence between Emily Bazelon, a good-hearted liberal by all accounts, right? right? Somebody who (laughs) approaches this topic with compassion and care and empathy in a way that these people clearly wouldn't even fucking begin to recognize in terms of their interactions with other human beings, of which Emily Bazelon is one, right? But you're going to take her and you're going to throw her under the fucking bus because you don't fucking care. Anyway, completely lost the thread there i forget what i was saying okay can i just uh talk about the 180 uh, people that saw 180 people or it's upwards of a thousand now like i don't know what the current number is but it it ballooned right over the the days since this has come out do you think at least my impression is that this is almost like 
politicians who do the symbolic vote to something that's never going to go anywhere. So their calculation for some of these uh, reporter, journalist, whatever, in, in, in the orbit of the New York Times, right? They've had some sort of connection in the past to the New York Times. Their math, their calculation must be, this is not going anywhere. The the Who was the guy that's at the standard desk? Um, Patrick or whatever Phillip. his name is? Philip. Yeah, Philip, this guy. He's going to do what he's going to do, right? He's not going to change the policies because some people wrote a letter, right? Everybody kind of understands that. And so they're like... I get to still go to these stupid dinner parties. I can I still hang out. You know, there's the correspondence dinner thing coming up soon. You know, I think the calculation must be, I'm just going to put my name there, look like I'm some sort of ally, and people will leave me alone. Like, the calculation is, I'm going to get more shit if I don't sign, and people online will figure it out. Hey, I didn't see your name there. Uh, what gives, buddy? I thought you were one of our people, right? And so just to avoid that headache... I think people are signing on to something knowing that it's nothing will come of it. I mean, you know, according to you, you know, you think lesser of some of them for uh, uh, seeding this ground. Like this is a you shouldn't have done this if you're going to be like a uh, impartial reporter. But it does sound like they're almost like bending to the constituent will, which is fine if you're a politician. But if you're a reporter or a journalist, that's not really your role. You don't have any constituents like or specific constituents. You're just some guy reporting or some gal reporting and just do that. I mean, again, the language of disgust and despicable does does no good for anybody uh, in any context, generally speaking. But I'm just I find myself so disappointed with this, <laughs> with the idea that a bunch of journalists would sign on to this thing when it is clearly just full of falsehoods. And, and what drives me nuts about it in particular is the fact that it cites the citation of these articles in bad laws or in the, out of the mouths of the fact that it's giving sucker to the enemies of the movement or the enemies of the of gender ideology movement is what aligns now Emily Bazelon and Ross Douthat and Katie Baker with being on the wrong side of history, more or less, right? right. Like it's this insistence that because – Bad things are happening in Florida and Kansas and Arkansas and Utah on this front, they, like things that are legitimately unacceptable, right? And this right. this is where we this is where the middle has to hold. This is this is where it matters more than anything else to speak out against the awful laws in Florida, the awful re- and and more more so than the laws even at this point, but the the rhetoric around it, right? That what. Utah is going to do that is going to ban all quote unquote gender affirm and by the way the the phrase gender affirming care alone is ide- ideologically loaded right so when you're talking about uh, youth gender medicine and gender affirming care that itself is uh, euphemistically ideologically loaded and I don't even think that people hear themselves saying it when they when they say the words gender affirming care they don't realize how much politics is preloaded into oh, that they sentence do. What, what, how much has been what would be another way to describe it I would just thought basically yes you can you can make that sex claim change a, a sex change because I it's like an umbrella term. It, it it doesn't necessarily involve a sex change, right? Or does it? Because you don't want to. Because you it, the marketing of giving sex change hormones to children is fucking awful, right? Right. Like that <laughs> that doesn't fly with right. the general public. Right. But gender affirming care definitely flies, right? Because it seems so positive and good and fine. Right. Anyway, the point here is that 
the Ron DeSantis's of the world, the the shitty politicians in Utah who who have bad ideas on this stuff, they are wrong, right? And 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 they're going to continue to exploit this in ways that are wrong and bad. That doesn't mean that these assholes who signed the New York Times letter are right, right? That doesn't mean that when misleading statements get made on NPR about uh, the science is settled on this, that there's there's actually nothing to worry about here because the American Academy of Pediatrics and the American Medical Association and all of these expert groups have come to uh, uh, final terms on all of this stuff. And anybody who raises any questions about it is just being a bigot. You're simply uninformed if that's your position now. And and at some point that will that will be an untenable position to continue to hold because that is an extreme position. That is a that is an extreme position that masquerades as as the middle when in fact the middle is we don't fucking know right right? and so everybody who cites and and there's so much reading to be done on this on this subject and i don't i again i don't pretend to be an expert here and of course i don't but like all you other assholes who do because you say that you say the science is actually settled here when it only takes like an hour worth of reading to realize holy shit the science on this shit isn't actually settled and in fact to the extent that it was settled even a year ago some of these uh like the dutch pro Protocol, no longer in effect in a way that a lot of people believe it to be. Finland and Sweden have both rolled back what they believe to have been good laws just a couple of years ago because they've decided that their approach was wrong. Uh, the United Kingdom had a big scandal about giving way too many kids, quote-unquote, gender-affirming care, when uh, and, the, and the results from that have been bad. And so they have stopped doing a lot of the stuff that they've been doing over the last few years because they believe – because new science has come in, right. because new, new studies have have been done and this insistence that anybody who raises any questions about it is just a bigot is fucking nonsense there's a a, a key point here in the dutch protocol and I, i'll explain it as as succinctly as i can but imagine that you have a group of a thousand children who present with uh with so-called gender dysphoria or, or with some some gender non-conforming ideas about themselves right then you take an extended period of time and you've you've eliminated 900 of them right like right. uh actually we have none of these problems. You, you don't actually have the problems that you thought you had or you grew out of it or you stopped presenting or, or whatever the fuck it is. 900 of you no longer worry about. And then a, a further 60 of them drop off as well after that. Like you go another six months and then now we're down to like 40 fucking people. And so now this is a study that started with 1,000 people, but now it's down to just 40 people. And then you study these people and they receive, quote unquote, gender affirming care. They have they're they're given hormones, they're given uh, social transition and they are given uh, surgeries. Right. And then you go and you talk to those people a year later and you find out that this worked out for 39 out of the 40 people. Right. That only one person regrets having gone through this process. And now you say, well, this worked in 39 out of 40 cases. The Dutch protocol must fucking work. Right. But no. In fact, all of this care that they got worked for 39 out of 1,000 people, not 39 out of 40, right? right? So now what you've done, when when you go and you you look at this study and you say, oh, wow, what a tremendous success for 39 out of 40 people. Well, yeah, that's because they didn't. 
they they solved the other the the so-called comorbidities the the other mental problems that were presenting with this gender dysphoric stuff they if, if they gave them Adderall they fixed their ADHD and then all of a sudden they weren't presenting as gender dysphoric anymore right but that that person doesn't end up in the quote unquote Dutch protocol because they left before before they got to this far into the thing right right to take the lesson from the Dutch protocol to be that. Uh, as the American Academy of Pediatrics or the American Medical Association says, it is always good to socially transition and then give hormones to after some period of consultation, right? Uh, after some number of visits or, or making sure they're serious about it. Kids who present with gender dysphoria, not taking into account the fact that the studies that showed this showed that you have to first eliminate all of these other problems first before you start giving them the the gender transition stuff right right? like and i don't pretend to know all of the ins and outs of this i don't pretend to know all of the answers here but don't come at me saying that you know all of the answers here who's coming at you jesus the the entire this letter the the entire anytime that anybody who gets upset about jk rowling on the internet for having quote-unquote transphobic problems for for people who talk about how uh, in an NPR story, when I hear that getting upset about youth gender transition is just bigotry is fucking nonsense. It's a big deal to take a 10-year-old and put them on puberty blockers if they're also pre- if this is a new thing that they're presenting with and they they're also are presenting with like depression and autism and who knows whatever the fuck else is going on in their lives, right? We we don't actually know this and to insist that we do is to tell a lie about the world. Now, um uh- you said uh, something that was unfair or whatever, however you characterize it. So I'm going to say, I'm going to throw this out there. Like, are are people trying to turn science into a new religion? Like, what is going on with this over-reliance on drugs? Wasn't that uh, a couple of weeks ago or a week ago uh, where the American Association for some other thing, like with kids and their obesity, they're like, just fucking give them drugs. You know, like everything seems to be... Just give them drugs. Like, yeah. how is that always the solution to everything? Like, just give them drugs. And on the point, now you said you're not an expert at this. Uh, I am further removed of this issue than, than even you are because you at least have kids. I don't have any kids. So my question is, my ignorant question, would a tomboy of yesteryear be a suitable candidate for gender-affirming care today? Like, where the passage of time solved whatever yes, issue there was, right? that's the thing. Like, that's what's happening. Right. Just, Not all the time. Yeah. But if a kid is saying, like, I think I want to be a boy. Right. I wish I were a boy. Now it's not like, oh, okay. Right. It's like, oh. Right. So it's not... Okay, well, we'll go talk to a therapist right. about it right now. Right. So basically, again... Like, whatever. Very removed from all of this, but, like, is everything that comes out of a kid's mouth actionable? I mean, just sometimes kids say stuff. It's like, okay. Yeah, send them to Montessori school. You don't got to jump it on it. Like, And also, what's with this? Pr- oh, we're under the pressure of time. These things must happen. At, like- well, that, so that's a thing because puberty happens. Okay. So they're trying to make right. a decision before the consequences are hard to undo? Like. Yeah, right. and or that's, something. That's if where that's what you want to do. If if you've had a child who, since they were two years old, has insisted that they're in the wrong body, right? right. Who has insisted that they want to be a, a little boy when they were born a girl, or they want to be a little girl when they were born a boy, 
and that's something that you've dealt with for like literally their whole lives, then that's an interesting conversation to have, I think. And also, it's a it's still a fucking big trade-off. Because if you put a, a little boy on puberty blockers at age 10 and make sure he doesn't go through normal male puberty, you will have impacted his bone density, right? You will have impacted any number of other things in his life he might not ever be able to orgasm for example all these things that are like super uncomfortable to talk about and this is something else i mentioned to Lori the other day like in a way we we're becoming more puritanical on the issue of homosexuality than we were before yeah. right which like it is a super uncomfortable conversation or even thought to have to imagine your nine or 10 year old boy is a homosexual, right? Like it's, it's like, because now you're, you're trying to imagine like, what do you mean you're 10 and you're gay? Like 10 year olds don't have that. Sort of like, wait, are you, I have to think about my child's like sexual impulse right now. Right. Like that's super fucking uncomfortable. Yeah. What if we could uh, not talk about yes. that? What if instead of being gay and uh, thinking about my little boy sucking dick someday, we which is like super gross and makes me feel awful about things. What if instead uh, he's just a girl, right? Yeah. Are you sure that you maybe you just maybe you just feel more comfortable with girls because you are a girl? Like that's why you like to hang out with girls right. all the time. Maybe that maybe that's just how you are. And let's go down that road. Let's talk to let's talk to a doctor about maybe putting off puberty. To, so let's just slow everything down here till we can figure things out, right? Till we can figure out what the hell is going on before we talk about uh, my son sucking any dicks around here, right? And that's obviously a, a, a offensive way of speculating about the culture in the moment. But the whole thing is obviously way more complicated than anyone wants to give it credit for. And the fact that Ron DeSantis is an asshole about this does not give license to people who imagine themselves to, to be kind and be empathetic and to always be on the right side of history to tell lies about the world and to insist that anybody who has questions about the way things are or the way things might be is being a bigot. Right. And I think part of the reason why a DeSantis and other types are kind of gravitating towards issues such as this is because they see a vulnerability. And and I think the the biggest problem with the like the letter uh, and other such efforts is that the attempt is like they're not trying to argue the, the point. They're trying to just kind of drown out or shame or shun any sort of dissenting voice. However, lightly the dissenting opinion it's just like one aspect of the overarching thing right overall i'm with it you know i'm cool but maybe not when they're eight you know like oh no no you can't say that you're just you're no better than so-and-so basically you're being lumped into the worst elements on the other side for raising any dissenting opinion i think it was 60 minutes on cbs I believe it was Anderson Cooper. Wasn't there a story where there were some uh, uh, stories where— I think it was Leslie Stahl. Okay. I, Le think it, uh, I think it was Leslie Stahl, and it was another one of these things where, like, somebody talked to a detransitioner, yeah. and the entire uh, gender ideology side of things freaked the fuck out. And, like, Lori says, like, who are we talking about here? Like, like who, who are you even mad about? And it's like, it is tempting because the middle is so vast, right? Because I think that the, the gender ideologist types represent a very small sliver of this. And as do the reactionary Ron DeSantis types represent a very small sliver of this. It's tempting to just ignore it and to say, like, what are we talking about here? But again, the lesson of Yates, sorry for doing poetry, but the lesson there is that when these extremes are fighting, the center actually cannot hold as a neutral ground, right? The center has to actively defend itself 
or it will be torn asunder. Right. Like that, that, that's how this works. Is that if you ele- if you if you elect to ignore the absolute maniacs, the absolute maniacs will just yell louder. But how right? did we get they rid will of the have, satanic panic? How they did will that have end? this this existential fight whether we want it to uh, be happening or not. And it is important that people who recognize it as more complicated than the priests of the revealed truths on either side uh, are willing to make it be uh, actually speak up and have and have their voices heard too. Right, but uh, th- that's a good point. On that 60 Minutes piece, though, what's troubling about this whole thing is that there are people that want to create this environment where uh, any sort of dissenting or any opinion that runs counter to the whatever they want to be true gets criticized, right? So on one hand, you're saying, let's go forth with the the settled science, right? And if you talk about any other thing, we're going to come after you. And then if you shine a light on maybe it's a rare occurrence, right, where people, uh, res- you know, detransition and they had a negative experience, but like it happened, right? You're not saying that those examples did not happen, but for you to come back out and say that shouldn't be covered, like you're creating this weird environment to where nothing that goes against whatever we want to be true should be covered because it's going to whatever, right? Like to me, that's a weird place to be. You should be able to kind of talk through something and it makes whatever, wherever you land on, whatever position you land on stronger for the rigorous discussion to point out the negative sides of it. Like parents have no rights. I mean, like, what are we talking about? Like none of this stuff doesn't make sense, but people don't want to talk through it because they're like, we've already decided we're going this route. So anything else you say runs counter to what we want. And that's not, I don't think is a very healthy way to go about anything. Just talk it out. Like people have concerns, talk through the concerns like you do with anything else. And at the same time, that another major part of the discourse right now is about how young people, and especially young girls, are more depressed than they've ever been at any yeah. point in recorded history, yeah. right? So at the same time that... Uh, and I do not... like I simply... You you cannot make all of the different threads cohere into one uh, consistent narrative here, right? Because we're living at a time of more acceptance and more tolerance for various lifestyles than at any other point in American history, right? Yeah. Like, I'm not, yeah. I'm not, not per- wrong about it's that. It's not perfect today, but relative Nobody to says it's perfect, you know, right. but like, relative to everything relative else, to yeah. fucking 20 years ago yeah. when everybody's running around screaming faggot at each other, right. like it's clearly better now right. in certain ways, right? We, we are uh, wildly more accepting. There's gay marriage now. Unthinkable. Unthinkable way more recently than anybody gives it credit for, yeah. right? A far more tolerant society and all of this stuff, as evidenced by the fact, no doubt, that one in five youths of today are perfectly comfortable identifying as somewhere on the LGBTQ uh, plus questioning spectrum. And that's fine and that's good. But that must be understood also in terms of the fact that people are wildly uh, less mentally healthy, according to every measure that we have now, especially young people, that doesn't mean that uh, they go hand in hand in the same way that it doesn't mean that social media automatically makes people more depressed necessarily hand in hand, but they do correlate in some way, right? right? The two things must be understood to exist at the same time. You cannot tell me that, in fact, we are living under oppressive regimes that make all of these people completely, that that at the same time that we're living under this oppressive regime that, that 
makes life intolerable and makes these people more depressed and more likely to to do self-harm at the same time that we are more inclusive and more tolerant of every imaginable lifestyle than we have ever been at any point in recent human history right they they simply don't go together and i i I don't know. It seems like it's a fixation of mine lately, I suppose, and I recognize that, and I don't want it to be a fixation of mine. So stop reading about it. But it also feels like something that's very important to me because so much of the media class, as evidenced by this fucking letter, believes that this is an existential war worth waging in some way, that it is it has become sort of the primary front in the culture wars in a way that as as a lot of other fronts of the culture wars have have becoming less important because of the fractured nature of the media landscape. This is the one that, that has sort of risen to the top and, and seems to be the only one that really matters anymore. Do you uh, on that point? Uh, I, I would wonder, you know, because everything else I can understand, but like, why do certain stories gain prominence? Like, is it this is like kind of like in a sports betting? Like, like they they set it at one and a half because the, there's like even money on both sides. Is, are these issues that make it to the top? Like, why is there so much uh, talk about like trans issues or whatever the issues of the day is? Right? Why do they? hold so much prominence over other stories that we could be talking about like there isn't like a science that says somebody decided this is the most important thing but people kind of like gravitate towards certain stories and i wonder if it's like these are the stories that are most contentious and so that that's why they rise to the top i never understood that like why is it that this is talked about so much compared to 10 years ago i mean i guess 10 years ago it was the gay stuff right and so once that's settled maybe this is a new frontier and that's why it's being talked about. Maybe it's that. Like, yeah, but I still don't think it's. I still don't think it's fair to consider this on some sort of continuum with gay rights. The transgender rights question, in terms of like workplace discrimination, is settled. Like, there's there's nothing more to talk right. about yeah. on that. The Supreme Court has decided that the Equal Rights Amendment applies to transgender individuals. Right. Like, this right. is this has all been figured out. They're not going to legislate on this stuff beyond this this youth gender medicine stuff, and it's. It's awful. It's an awful conversation to have to have, but it, it becomes an impossible conversation to have if the terms of the debate are set by people on the one side saying that you're a demonic groomer, right? That's that's the Chris Rufo, the, right. the, the Ron DeSantis way of framing it, that this is about adults and like weirdo adults playing out their own sexual fantasies on children. And on the other hand, insisting that the science is settled, which is a nonsensical phrase that uh, happens to, in this case, also not be true. Also, anytime somebody says the science is settled, I'm like, oh, boy, give it a couple of years. There's always going to be some new story that will come out. Just like with uh, – remember there was like – well, only a few months, but uh, at the tail end of the uh, pandemic uh, period where people were like, oh, the, the vaccine is actually better for you than like immune – like getting infected. And now they're like, oh, no, nah, fuck all that what our original understanding of how this works is actually how it works. And before a while there was like, no, 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 this is the way it's better to do it this way. And it's just like, maybe, but give it a couple of years. That's why I would say time solves everything, you know, like whatever discussion people had two years ago, you know, the answer now. And with this thing, we'll know in a few years when the dust settles. Speaking of the vaccine and uh, getting COVID and having that be a better protection that it is interesting now that, they're sort of coming around on this idea that boosters should not be necessary for anybody who has been boosted up to this point and also had the virus. Yeah. That they're 
there's basically no added protection that is conferred upon a person uh, by by getting a further booster. Uh, and like that's just, I don't know. There are all sorts of things that we're going to find out about these last few years moving forward. And again, like it is so crucial that the middle hold here because you're going to have, you already have people, the whole hashtag died suddenly movement, right? This idea that anybody who dies in a slightly incongruous way must have died because of the vaccine, right? They must have died because of a vast international conspiracy hatched by the United States and China, which is fucking complete nonsense, right? right? But also we need to be able to take seriously the fact that our public health officials insisted that and, and really, they were probably just trying to do their best. Yeah, uh, but they were wrong. Yeah, right. But but they or were the wrong. ones that and did we, say that. I don't think anybody wasn't like a hundred percent in agreement. But there, but there were some people that were pushing it. And the problem is that isn't that you're right or wrong. It's just the this arrogant confidence that comes with it. Like shut the fuck up. This is the way. And it's like it could be the way, but. Could you just be a little more humble about it? Like, you don't have to be such a dick no, about it. No, but people who get to be in charge are always that way. Yeah. That's how they got to be yeah, in I charge. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I want to touch on this one thing I heard on the Barry Weiss podcast. It's called Honestly. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. Is that a good podcast? Uh, generally, I would not say that is a good podcast as a as a hard Ouch. and fast rule. Not a deal breaker to- for me. You don't have to be good for me to listen to it, but right, yeah. it's it's one of those that like I I pick and choose. Like I, I don't need to listen to every episode. Yeah. I think that they do they do fine work it's there from time to time. Guest heavy kind of thing. Like every episode has a somebody that they have on to talk through something. Right, with a general sort of focus on the normal slate of heterodox topics that somebody like Barry Weiss is going okay. to be interested in. Uh, I bring it up because they had a debate about the recent conversations that we had uh, as recently as last week about the the fat people drugs and the and giving uh, children weight loss drugs and also surgery and the person that they had on who is sort of on the side of uh, let's treat obesity as a medical problem and give kids drugs and and basically it's like look no matter what you think about the underlying causes here, I am a doctor doing care of a human being who walks into my into my office. There's only so much that I can do, right? Like I can't I can't fix the fact that our entire food delivery and nutrition system is completely fucking fucked. And like this is I'm putting words in her mouth basically, but the 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 sort of exasperated position is like, yeah. You're not wrong that we eat like shit and we eat too many processed foods and everybody's too fucking fat. And like uh, a big problem is the corporate interests of pharmaceutical companies and the corporate interests of these uh, uh, food processing companies, right? These, these massive multinational corporations. Like that's a huge fucking problem. But also I can't fix that. So today I can give them this drug. And yes, does that only reinforce the problems of the system because now this person thinks they can eat whatever the fuck they want to eat and they just keep eating garbage and now they're going to be a lifelong customer of this drug. Uh, yeah. And that fucking sucks. But like, uh, what am I going to do about yeah. it? I can't fix Monsanto and the entire food delivery system and, and Pfizer and all the rest. So whatever. So that's the most sympathetic way of portraying the sort of medical interventionist side of this, I think. But I also wanted to play this clip because the doctor who's making sort of that argument, as I've said in the on the show before, 
I struggle when people start arguing about nature versus nurture because uh, it, it becomes a completely meaningless right. thing a lot of the time <laughs> because nature is just nurture over an extremely long right. period of time, right. right? That like genetics is just the expression of how a specimen or a creature has lived in an environment over many, many generations, right? That's all it is. Nature and nurture are the same thing. Uh, and I know that's very reductive and, and a silly way of putting it, but uh, I want to play this clip from this doctor here, uh, which makes the point explicit. I think this is where Callie's argument becomes really compelling to me, because if obesity is genetic, where was this disease 50 years ago, right? Like in the 1960s, between 5 and 7% of American children were obese. Today it is one in five children. Like did we all magically get afflicted with these new genetics in the past 50 years? And if it is genetic, why are Americans uniquely afflicted by these terrible genes? That's what I'm trying to understand. Yeah, and so that's where this quote comes into play, which I'm, I'm, I'm blinking in the moment on who says it, but... Genetics loads the gun, and then the environment pulls the trigger. So our environment has really capitalized on the underlying genetic susceptibility to excess body weight. It's been there the whole time, but now we're doing more and more things in our day-to-day -day lives to augment and make the body weight excess increase. All right, I'm going to stop it there, because what she just said is it's actually just the environment. Like she, she's, in, she's insisting that it's genetics, but what she's saying is that in fact it's genetics, but, uh, but actually it's the environment, right? right? So that, that it's, it's in, in a question of nature versus nurture, she says it's definitely nature except for the hundred percent of it, which is, uh, definitely nurture, but it's, right? Maybe, maybe she meant something. I, I don't know, but like, it is funny because in another way, another way to put that is basically humans have always been susceptible to this, and it just happened recently when we started eating all right. this stuff. Humans, humans, uh, the human animal has spent uh, hundreds of thousands of years, and then animals, uh, millions upon millions upon <laughs> millions of years of. Uh, resource hoarding, yeah. right? The, the resources are scarce, yeah. and so we ingest them and try to hold on to them for as long as fucking possible, right? Yeah. It's it's what have made what's what makes animals fucking work. The reason that we survive is that we get the rare thing, we put it in our fucking bodies, and we uh, then use it up. Right. Yeah. And so the more of it that we can hang on to, the better it is going to be for us in the long term. So then we get to a point of like absurd overabundance. Yes. Right. We get to we get some modernity when we now have uh, uh, an amount of calories at our ready and easy disposal that was uh, previously unthinkable for not just hundreds of thousands of years, but hundreds of millions of years of evolutionary pressure. Right. Uh, are, are acting upon us now. Of course, it's genetics in that way, but it's genetics in a way that the environment simply could not provide us with previously. And now that it can, and by the way, when you think about like the people for whom it could provide it, rich people a thousand years ago, those were the only fucking fat right. people, right? That like, was a sign your of, kings and your queens. Yeah, that was a sign like, of, They oh, were fucking fat right. because they had abundant resources right. from which they could lazily choose from. And they didn't have to do right. shit. And they didn't have to fucking do anything. They just sat around and people brought them food and they ate 
made it. And that was the fucking good life, right? So, like, of course it's fucking nurture. What are you talking about? Right. It's not the environment. It's your genetics. Who are you trying to let off the hook here? Are you trying to make a person feel better about themselves? Yes. Like, is that all that is? Yes. It's this insistence that, oh, you don't have to feel bad about it because it's just your genetics? Like, of course it's your fucking genetics. There must be, yeah. What are you talking about? There, there must be no... I mean, that's got to be the reason why. It's just like people... Well, what's odd about it, when you said, you know, it's not, it's not just overabundance. It's like now there are billion-dollar companies who go out of their way to engineer food to exploit all of our weak, human weaknesses, right? You know, big fans of the salt and the fat and the – like all of that stuff. Like we have – all the food is perfectly designed to bypass any sort of thing, like any sort of like restraint or I'm not that hungry. Like food makes you want to eat it and then you're hungry in like an hour, right? Like other food, you know, more like, you know, like sweet potatoes or whatever, long-lasting, you're, you're, you're satiated, you're fine, you know, like natural foods. It's a while before you're hungry again, but because they want to make money, food is designed in such a way to where you're eating over and over and over and over again. Junk food, you're always eating it because your brain is thinking more and more and more. So if you want to point to something, that could work. I mean, but this weird, like, oh, you're just born with it? Like, I don't understand. That doesn't make any sense. Right. And yeah, it doesn't change the fact. Yeah, sure. Some people are predisposed to to hold on to more weight than other people are, right? Like, but I'm sorry, I'm I'm just far more sympathetic to this to to the side of things that says we are making ourselves sick with the way that we consume and 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 the way that we we handle food distribution, uh, sort of as as a global society right now, and this idea that. Essentially, it's a, it exists beyond our agency. Maybe it does. Maybe it does exist beyond individual agency of, of weak-willed humans who can't be expected to. And I, I sympathize it's with that, right? interesting because they have – I've been thinking about this. Like in Japan, I ordered those highly processed foods from Japan. They like – they do processed food, but it's viewed as a like an – unusual thing yeah, to eat yeah. it's not like what's for dinner your franken food right. like they eat real food for dinner yeah. but then their snack is like ooh, magic soy potato rice fish sugar chips like a treat like, or something yeah it's not it's a yeah. treat it's an unusual thing Right. The point is that, yes, it might be beyond the individual will to be able to do anything about this in, in your own uh, personal miserable life, but it doesn't make it beyond the collective will, right? It doesn't mean that we can't uh, make these fundamental changes to things with enough collective action. And I think that you're going to get a better chance at securing that sort of collective action that can make a difference in hundreds of millions of people's lives if you're honest about things. And that's something that I keep coming back to. But the it is just as dumb for some hardo to go on TikTok and say, you just choose to eat the grilled chicken and the steamed broccoli, and that's how you fix your fucking life, you fucking bums. Like, that's just as dumb as the doctor who says, well, I can't do anything about anything except prescribe you this you know, drug. If it was presented that and, way— and get, a, and get a 12-year-old hooked for— se- like, you're just going to be on Ozempic for fucking 70 or 80 right. years as long as and you how- live. I don't know how expensive are those things. I mean, like, I don't understand why you would want more people to be on drugs. There are enough people who need the drugs that they're on, right? You're just born with whatever, and you have to have them. Why are you like creating scenarios where millions of more people are on something that they could avoid? Uh, if you can avoid drugs, you would prefer not to be on drugs for the rest of your life, the right? The drug company doesn't want them to not be on the drugs. Though. Yeah. 
That that's true. But I, so again, that's if they presented the information like, look, we're basically kind of at, at, at a triage stage, and it's not important to me why people are at such a heavy weight. We need to find a way out. If they just said that, that would be one thing. But if you're kind of like making up the scenario where it's really something you were born with, like that's going to run afoul of what people see. Like that's not true. Right. Well, the side effects the side effects of Ozempic are overwhelmingly feeling nauseous and making yourself feel so full that you don't want to go on eating, right? Like that's the primary side effect. And in fact, that's that's how the drug works. The reason that you lose weight is because you are made to to feel overfull and often nauseous. In other words, they've taken a clockwork orange treatment procedure and applied it to food, which is the way that Alex in a clockwork orange was prevented from doing ultra violence and rape and how'd murder. You, how'd you quit smoking, Bob? I didn't make myself physically ill at the thought of having a cigarette. I just did it through self-hatred and discipline. Uh, natural and, hate. Uh, and, and berating myself, yes. But that's different than taking a pill that makes you feel sick so you won't, won't want to eat anymore. That was presented as a dystopian reality of a, a future fascistic government <laughs> who's going to make you feel bad uh, about uh, following your natural human urges. And now it's, uh, it's in pill form so that you won't be as fucking fat. You're still going to eat fucking garbage, and you're not going to be a very healthy person, but at least you won't be fucking fat it, anymore. Is Ozempic the one that uh, does some—it it, kind of ages your face, or there's like some weird symptom that's like—I don't know if it's Ozempic. So there's, but- reason, there's reason to think that the reason that your face looks old is because all of the fat comes out of it, and you just get saggy. Oh. So you need to combine—you need to combine the— fat loss with a facelift and then you won't look so old anymore. Like, How is this a winning formula? Like people are going to feel discomfort. They're going to be sick at some point uh, uh, or feel that way anyways to discourage you from eating. Uh, if their face may be all off, like this is a solution. Like it can be among the most, the most personally psychologically punishing things to endure is to yo-yo diet, right? Is to drop forty pounds and put on twenty-five, and then put on thirty more, and then drop thirty pounds, right? Like it is, it is, it, it's fucking psychologically debilitating for a lot of people. Right. Like it's, it's just, it, it's a form of punishment that. I don't know. It doesn't really exist in other forms in this culture right now. So I think that a lot of people are willing to take a lot of bad side effects uh, if it means that uh, they can continue basically their their lifestyle but it's also and also not, just take a drug to not look as fat. It's not wanting to have to think about food, which is what I was saying last week. Like, it's a whole thing that people don't have time and energy for to get the food and make the food and eat the food if you're just never hungry easy yeah. right but that that is a miss that is a misalignment of priorities right like we should be way more interested in the most important thing we should thing. work less sure we should have preventative health we should do a lot more things differently you've been listening to cast iron brains a podcast with bob and abe Find the show on Facebook or Twitter. Head on over to brainiron.com or castironbrains.com for a show note, which will have relevant linkage to all of the things that we discussed today, or at least most of them. I, I try to remember to include everything that matters, but I'm sure I don't always. The opening and closing themes of the show are composed by Mark Gillig. Head over to tetramermusic.com, where you can hear 
their rock and roll music by them, I mean also Mark's bandmate Jerry, whose birthday it is today. Oh. Happy birthday. Oh, happy birthday, Jerry, but not today because he's yeah, not hearing happy, it. Happy belated birthday, yes. Jerry. And also happy belated birthday to my old man who uh, got older over the weekend as well. So old. We're all getting old. Abe, I didn't check the new releases this week. Did you make it to the movies this week? I did. Um, that Ant-Man is out. I haven't seen it. I'm watching it this week, but that was out this past week. Can't wait for Ant-Man and the Quantumania <laughs> or whatever the fuck that, that is. It, it, it's, it's probably going to be the lowest rated on Rotten Tomatoes among all these goofy little uh, Marvel movies. Like It's, it's running neck and neck with uh, Eternals in the Rotten score, uh, and it'll probably be below it probably by this week. But I'm going to see that another time. Last week, I went to go see Marlowe. With uh, Liam Neeson, Marlo. it is not a not familiar with that one for the best because it is an atrocious movie, just like very bad. I mean, this is twenty four percent on Rotten Tomatoes. The audience did not care for it either. You know, like sometimes the critics will are going to poo poo a movie, but the audience is into it. Ant Man is kind of like that. Marlowe universally disliked. It's like set in the 1930s. It's supposed to be some sort of noir kind of type. But it is clunky from beginning to end. There's nothing in it that works. Just bad. Don't go see this movie. I usually say movies are okay or whatever, but do not see it. Not even if it's streaming, even if you're like in a holding cell. That's too bad. The character, the Philip Marlowe character is uh, Raymond Chandler creation. Like he's had successful outings before. He's a, a relevant figure in the noir genre. I don't know if it was Liam Neeson Not so much this time. or the writing. I don't. It just it, there was a lot of parts where he just kind of laughed at it. It's just just very not good. But I did go see uh, not see, but I watched this weekend at home uh, an old movie just to kind of get the taste out of my mouth after that movie. Uh, I went to All I right. watched uh, Deliverance, which is a movie from like fifty years ago. Ah. Uh, Great movie. Years ago, I was on at on this river in Georgia, and they're like, hey, this yep. place is known as the place where they film Deliverance. I'm like, what the fuck is that? I never heard of it. You weren't way down yonder on the <laughs> on the Chattahoochee a- where it gets hotter <laughs> than a hoochie-coochie, were you, Abe? No. Well, way down yonder on the Chattahoochee, it gets hotter than a hoochie-coochie. But this river... That, that's your cancel now. <laughs> <laughs> this river is the Chattooga River, uh, but like in the uh, movie, yeah. it's like some made-up thing. Uh, anyways, that was a better movie than than Marlowe. The one part that didn't make sense to me, maybe things were different in 1972. But uh, for those who have seen it, you know, these four friends from some city slickers from Atlanta go up to the bumfuck wherever to go on a canoe trip. Just a bad idea. Uh, they get split off and two of them. Even though, even though they're white, still not a great idea. <laughs> if Deliverance got remade today, it would feature West Virginia, man, it's bad. It would feature some uh, some folks from the Biffler, probably. <laughs> like that would be the crew that you went know up what? In, it could like, work that way. That'd be kind of funny. But it is weird at the beginning how they were very cavalier with the locals. And it's like you know, got a bad vibe by this bunch. You know, like maybe don't be such a dick to them. Uh, but anyways, the Early on in the movie, uh, these two, two of the four characters, they get, uh, they, they have an interaction with somebody. Uh, the, one of them, like, eventually rapes one of them, right, under the threat of, of, of yeah. killing them. It was very weird. But after uh, 
one of the other characters comes and kills the guy, right? Like, all right, that's enough raping. And uh, so he kills him. And now they're worried, oh, my God, what are we going to do? We killed it, and no one's going to believe us, or we have to come up with some sort of cockamamie scam to hide the body. And I'm thinking, really, you can't explain this? Like, you guys all have jobs? These fucking yokels don't have no, any standing. because then he would have to admit he, he, he would had have gay to sex. Talk, he would have to talk to the policeman about how the redneck stuck his, yeah, his, you can't. his Peter up his... Not uh, worth it. You gotta No, no. no. Don't it. mention that. See, yes, you need to clean up the story, like, you know, like those uh, inclusive minds people. You, you gotta clean up what happened a little. <laughs> I get that. Right. But the they took way too many risks, because now if you're hiding a body and they find it, like... Now, I mean, the, the plot of I Know What You Did Last Summer has the same right. plot hole where they hit a guy and he says, no one's going to believe I was driving. Like, everyone else is drunk. Right. It's like... At least... Yeah, they might. Yeah. You, you guys dead and now you're all dead right but if we're gonna if we're going to eliminate all like poorly conceived cover-ups or or like attempts to straighten the narrative out of cinema history we're not gonna be left with very many movies and and this is with a 50 years uh heads up that i'm making under the pressure of time yes i can imagine uh them getting carried away but like the one of the characters who was like he was so troubled by what was happening like this guy was fucking raping your friend. Look what I mean. Who cares if he dies? Like, why are you so, like, bothered by that? Like, he gets in the water and he dies. I don't know what happened to him. But, like, it wasn't clear if somebody actually shot him. Because it was a little, like, are these people just paranoid now? They think there are people out there sniping at them? Yeah, I can't I can't answer the details. It's been it's been at least a decade right. since I've last seen Deliverance, but, uh, it, probably. It, I watched, most recently, I watched it with you. But, yeah, it was probably over 10 years ago. But no, it's a good movie. It's great seeing so many of these people so young, like the Burt Reynolds, very young. It's a bummer. It's crazy. It doesn't make you sad. Yeah, it John Boyd, so young. All these people great looked movie. so much better before. Also, it's the source of one of the most ridiculous jokes that I've ever attempted to pull off. Where I it took is. I took the dueling banjos it's scene. It's so good. From that movie, which is, of course, that weird-looking redneck fellow with his banjo playing <laughs> with <laughs> one of your <laughs> city slicker friends. Yeah, yeah. yeah they yeah. do that. It's a fucking great it's scene. the best thing you've ever done. And I, for some reason, that I can't even remember the genesis of it, but I replaced the faces of most of the people in that video with people in the band Tetramer, which is funny that we bring this up on Jerry's birthday, but like Jerry and Mark and their old uh, and their and their drummer and I think their previous bassist or something feature it's in so it. Good. My face pops in. Anyway, it's it was a literally like hours upon hours, like six or eight hours. It doesn't even look good. It looks awful. Of work in a shitty Microsoft movie editor so on perfect. like three laptops ago. <laughs> And it took me all goddamn day, and it was—it's among the best things that I've ever done. Uh, and it—and it is the the fact of how much time and effort it took for so stupid a payoff that makes it that good. But that's why—that is my ideal joke—is yeah. immense, yes. unthinkable effort for the dumbest possible joke. Uh, what did we watch this week? We watched that show. That new the show that Julia oh, yeah. said There's to There's a watch. show from 2019 called Years and Years. It's on HBO Max. It Very was British. Uh, a joint uh, release with the BBC or some one of those BBC channels. I Very think. Very British. And it features uh, what's her name? 
Oh. Oh. Uh, oh. E. Emma. Emma Thompson. Okay. As uh, a sort of awful Trumpy sort of character, but not quite uh, an outsider who's going to say the the bad word and tries to insert herself into British politics. The show centers around a family. Okay. Right. The show centers around it's a family a which has family. which has all of the so they've they've got interracial marriages, they've got homosexuals, they've got single disabled moms. They hit every single one of the imaginable identity groups within this uh, extended family of like four or five siblings. And Including then, a very sweet old lady who's just, you know. Yeah. Right. Uh, and the, the conceit of the show is that the world is this crazy now. How fucking crazy is it going to be in five years or 10 years or 15 years? And so what we do is after in the middle of episode one, we jump five years. And then we spend the next couple of episodes looking at what they imagine the world is going to look like five years from oh. now. And then presumably we're going to jump again and eventually we'll get like 15 years out. It's a it's a fine show. It's a little bit it's a little bit silly. It's very weird. Uh, but it's only like six or seven episodes, I think. So how we'll, how many we'll years do they cover that. in these six or seven episodes? Know. I think it's 15 years, yeah. Oh, so you, you, you guys have not finished it yet. You, you're halfway through? No, no we're, we're only two, two episodes, episodes. Okay. in. Yeah. We also watched... Um, what did we watch? Anything? No, we didn't really watch much else because we got a PlayStation 5. What? <laughs> yeah, we we are we wait we didn't get one. We didn't exactly we're, get we're, one. We're fostering. We're foster. We're fostering a PlayStation. We're fostering 5. a PlayStation Five. My dad had bought one and then sort Left of it in the stupidest place. Yeah, he doesn't need it now, so we're taking care of it for a little while. Is the long story short? And an extremely long story short but um, <laughs> we're taking care of the PlayStation 5 now i've been playing this uh, Spider-Man game that came out a couple years ago i ordered the I tra- played it for like 6 hours on sunday <laughs> yeah i had a very lazy sunday just playing Spider-Man uh, it was great and then i also ordered the transphobic Harry Potter game that came out this past oh, week oh yeah which uh, some something that we didn't touch on but uh, there's a Hogwarts Legacy is the name of this game that's dropped for PC and the and the next generation systems, the PS5 and the Xbox, whatever the fuck, uh, and will be coming to Nintendo Switch, I think, sometime this summer. And there's been a, a whole lot of angst about the existence of the game and whether or not to cover the game in gaming media or in mainstream okay. media. We and, don't need to talk about it. And it sold like... A billion dollars. It's, <laughs> it's going. It, it's going to sell. It will sell in its first year something like twenty million copies and do something wow. like one point five billion dollars in gross a revenue. Nerd. Not not We're to just all nerds. Not to dwell on it, but is the was the initial pushback something new in the game or just the author? No, of no, course not. J.K. Rowling has okay. no impact whatsoever on this game any longer. She didn't have any input on the writing or the story this was in fact there's a there's a token trans character even in the game of because of course there is uh but that didn't stop the uh the folks who insist that jk rowling is the like literally uh, genocide heir. like I, I keep saying that word because that's the word these fucking maniacs use to describe very normal people who have questions about the the gender ide- ideology movement over the last 10 years or so like they, little, they just call them genocide heirs diary that i have the question of the day diary yeah 
the question today is, what word did you overuse today? And I couldn't think of one, but I didn't write down, Bob's going to overuse a lot of words tonight, but he'll find <laughs> out tomorrow which words he overused. Yeah. Because you do that a lot. It do, I have actually thought about including a what is the word of the podcast feature in the podcast because when I go back and edit it, I always find out what the word yeah, of the podcast it's is. it's really annoying to be listening to. I don't know. Sometimes you have no, to no, say the word. No, no, you are listening to yourself, so you're not annoyed by it. I'm annoyed. I can the assure listener you is annoyed. that when I say like obfuscation four yeah. times in a night, I am also annoyed by it. Right. It just happens to be okay. what, that, that word that the is thing top you of have mind. To, when you find yourself doing that, just stop talking. Yeah, we wouldn't have this at all if that was the case. So. We would. Anyway, the point is, people were super mad about this fucking game. You would think, therefore, that it would not sell a billion fucking copies. But, of course, it is going to sell a billion fucking copies. And not because people who play the game are fucking transphobes, but because the center will actually hold, uh, to some extent, if you just ignore the fucking maniacs on, on one side or the other. Right. Uh, it is fine to play a video game that says Harry Potter on it, you weirdos. Uh, we also, of course, it. watched uh, The Last of Us. Oh, yeah. Uh, last night. Mm-hmm. Spoilers. Uh, spo- what is that Spoilers about? here. Be careful. I know. I, like, don't cliffhang me. Uh, I've a lot to think about this week. He's 100% not going to be dead. And here's, I, I don't know this for a fact. Uh, as Bill Maher says, I just know it to be true. Yeah. I don't know it. For a fact, but uh, there's no way that on the heels of Game of Thrones being the success that it was, where they kill Ned Stark at the end of season one, right, that the next big prestige drama that that sort of really hits for that a lot of people has Pedro Pascal in it. It's right. also going to kill their main character at the right. end of season one. At least I don't, the girl. Yeah, at least, I don't believe it. At least uh, Game of Thrones, there was an ensemble cast. I mean, the focus was very heavily towards the Starks and the Ned Stark right. and whatever, right? So it was still a big I was very shocked I was very shocked by that and really nothing else after that in Game of Thrones. Even like the Red Wedding. It's like if you're gonna kill the main guy, like everything else is also possible. Like you killed his kid or whatever. Of course, right. that's not gonna be a big thing. But also it's just bad storytelling if now you want me to care about this relatively poorly drawn kid yeah. like i get it like ellie is an important character she she's we're supposed to be charmed by her and like her but we don't really know what the fuck's going on with her at this point and i i it would be weird to demand of us that we transfer all of our caring to this girl now after having spent the previous number of hours hanging out with uh the pedro pascal character okay but how triggered were you when joel found his brother and said, I came to save you when his brother was clearly just fucking fine. Yeah, that was a joke. That was that was enjoyable. Was that what also not exactly your speech at Chris's wedding? I don't know. I didn't connect the two things. Oh, I did. No. I haven't thought about my speech at my brother's wedding or read you it said, in a very long I, you time. You know, my whole life I've been worried about Chris and making sure Chris is okay. And Chris is always fine. And yeah. 
there he was going, I, I got to go find my brother and save my brother. Right. Oh. And his brother's like, oh, hey, I live on this resort. Right. How are you? Although, I mean, yeah. I mean I've mean, always, i always, I'm always uh, been partial to be uh, emotionally manipulated by uh, brother's storylines. More so now it's uh, father-son storylines. Like, uh, you fucking piece of shit Disney movie, you do father-son stuff, you're going to ruin me yeah. for 20 really minutes or so. They don't, much. yeah, they don't really do it, but... Uh, it's funny that as the various relationships in my life become more like obviously I grew up with my brother my entire life that was the most important relationship in my life for an extremely long that. time yeah. uh so any brother stuff would always fucking get to me but now because I'm Calvin and Katie's father I'm much more susceptible to the uh the father child relationship stuff, though, manipulation who gives a shit yeah, wife stories don't bother me. Too much. <laughs> Although you know it's weird. I don't know if it's a numbers game when you have like a million siblings. None of the sibling stuff does anything for me. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> if it's a radio silence from one of them, I'll figure out the other one. Like, ah, right, whatever happened to that guy? Like, he's in Wyoming. Fuck that guy. Let's move on. No. You know. Uh, I thought it was a good. I thought it was a good hour of TV though. Although I didn't. Again, like if you're gonna have a stupid death for a main character, like. I will be disappointed. Well, the stupid part of that is he would know you don't take that that impalement object out. You leave it in. Yeah. What was that about? Like, he would know that. Yeah. He should have known that. Also, uh, he does. You know, either way, I did. I didn't like the way it ended because either you kill off one of the two main characters. I mean, you can maybe do some other thing in the next episode by filling in what happened with uh, the girl uh, Ellie at camp or what you know wherever the hell she came from to kind of give some more heft to her character right so you can care about her a little more but either the guy's dead and that's a weird way to end an episode or he survives an implausible scenario i mean he got stabbed he pulls the shank out he's bleeding out they're nowhere near anything like where the hell he's not going to be able to get a blood transfusion anytime soon so how do you survive that she's going to 14-year-old's going to drag this big old dude around? Well, she has a horse. you got to get yeah, up on the that's horse, the thing. There's nothing yeah, harder than I... to lift a dead, seemingly dead body, you know, yeah. from what I hear. <laughs> from what I hear. <laughs> I'm no expert, Dave. Always quick to qualify uh, what he's got Secondhand personal real-life experience That's what in, they're telling yeah. me, yes. But no, it was enjoyable. Although, this was the first episode in the bunch where I said, you know what? I'm not a binge person, but I would rather have been able just to move on to the next episode this time yeah. instead of waiting. So I agree with you, except that it does look like they're doing a flashback episode next so week. Not two if weeks. you watch the, so it's gonna be two weeks before right. we find out what right. happened to him. Right, but that's what I mean. Like it would only be yeah, immensely it frustrating yeah. to watch this next episode knowing no, but okay. So now we got to watch this fucking story from ten years ago to find out. <laughs> it's like, like no, fuck you. I'm skipping this episode. We're going to the next that's one. That's true. Yeah, it's like I'll circle back to this because you can plug that in anytime, right? Why why did it need to be the next episode? Uh, but yeah, it sounds like he's probably not dead. But it's just gonna. I, I want to see how they better not jump. Time. I want to see how she goes from him falling over and going somewhere to like find medicine or whatever. I will say I was not at all surprised. I'm not going to say like I knew for certain that they were going to kill him. But when he goes from like that big emotional speech, 60% or whatever into the episode, right? Very good performance. No, no, not trying to downgrade it at all. Her accent slipped. But then the next morning, 
he shows up and it's like, ah, I was just kidding. I'm going to, I'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. That sort of thing. You deserve a choice. And then they go out and they're all there just happy go lucky, having a good time, like father daughter <laughs> stuff, just making jokes and, and having quips and, and showing her how to do cool stunts with the gun and all that fun stuff. Like happy father daughter day. Like, oh yeah, he's definitely getting fucking shanked or something <laughs> at some point before this episode is over. That's just how these stories work. Yeah. Uh, and I was not surprised in that way to see it end if not, uh, the way that it did. If not today, he's going to die, right? I mean, like, it's old. Well, they're all going to die. No, but, but he spe- They all die eventually. But he specifically seems to be like he had like, he led a purposeless life after right. his kid died, and he just kind of just been killing people, I guess, for money or whatever. Right. And it's the it's the old cliche rule about as soon as a character tells the audience what a person wants. Then they're going to take it away from him. So he's yeah. like, you know, someday I want to have a ranch right. with a bunch of sheep, right. uh, or, or actually, you know what? I want to be a professional singer. Right. Say, okay, this guy's gonna die. None of that's gonna happen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you, uh, you got anything else for us tonight, Abe? Nope. Well, I guess that's all we've got for tonight, then, and we will talk to you next time. Later. <laughs> Episode, but that's why when I was making that blanket for Julia, I knew you would appreciate it because of the amount I was making a blanket. It's so hard to explain. It's very easy to explain. There was a commercial there for was an a ad, mall. A fucking two minute long radio ad yeah. in the 90s. And it is unfindable in its full form on the internet. And the, the form of it that you can find uh, after trawling Reddit and, and various weird sound clouds. It's only on one sound cloud. Uh, is nearly uninterpretable. Like, it's, it's very difficult to work it's out. Very, it's a sort of we didn't start the fire, ver- okay. like a rapid fire, lots of words really quickly. And they're all names of stores at a mall. Okay, right. And it has a catchy little ditty in the middle as the chorus. And Lori wanted to put the lyrics of that song on a blanket. Nice. (laughs) And in order to figure it out, like, you have to listen to this shitty SoundCloud recording of a 30-year-old ad 1,000 times (laughs) to try to... To try to interpret each and every syllable, and then to try to match that up with uh, stores that that might have existed at that time. Uh, a very, very silly thing to try to do. But I I knew Bob would appreciate it because of the amount of effort and time it would take for the stupidest thing. It's a right. blanket with words. Right. It doesn't mean anything. It's the same as that video. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Deliverance is good. Yeah. I like that Love movie.
squeal, squeal. <laughs>